Welcome to First Move. Fantastic to have you with us for a weather-wary Wednesday on the show. Temperature records breaking as thermometer readings rise around the world and the July heat wave continues. Meanwhile, a midsummer melting of a different sort underway for global investors. M for markets and a melt up with the Dow rising for seven straight sessions. It's actually the strongest advance in more than two years. The S&P and the Nasdaq hitting fresh 15-month highs too amid hopes the United States can avoid recession. E, well, that's for bank earnings. Financial giant Goldman Sachs reporting a rare profit miss, a loan disappointment, in fact, after a whole host of strong Q2 banking results. L, for lower inflation, a summer slowdown in the United Kingdom as prices ease to more than one-year lows, finally below 8%. Remember, that's still four times the Bank of England's 2% target. But rate rises are finally having an impact. And T for Tesla, the EV maker, just one of the big tech firms reporting after the closing bell this Wednesday, along with Netflix and IBM. I think Tesla investors want more cyber truck and less cage fight with Zuck and all the other nonsense. I probably earned a poop emoji for that. I'll take it. Ahead of all those tech earnings in the meantime, a bit of pre-market green on Wall Street. Strong gains for UK stocks after that encouraging inflation print. The FTSE easily outperforming the rest of Europe, as you can see there. The Nikkei, meanwhile, outperforming in Asia and the Hang Seng easing for a second day with China's slowing economy remaining the focus. Mining giant Rio Tinto warned that metal shipments to China are sagging, saying China's recovery has fallen short of expectations. That's an interesting indicator. Plenty in the meantime of action across the commodity space. Wheat futures higher by over 4% and up now more than 12% over the past five trading sessions. As Ukrainian President Zelensky warns, Russia is, quote, deliberately targeting his country's grain deal infrastructure. Kyiv now saying some 60,000 tonnes of grain were destroyed overnight in new missile attacks. All the details on that in just a moment. But first, we're learning more about the US soldier who the Pentagon says willfully ran across the border into North Korea. Army Private Travis King already faced disciplinary action for assault and was supposed to be being sent back to the United States. But according to a U.S. official, he made his way to the joint border security area in the demilitarized zone and dashed over the demarcation line. Now, Will Ripley is very close to the border and spoke with my colleague Christina McFarlane just a short while ago. Uh, we're still a bit of a distance from the DMZ, uh, approaching what's known as the Unification Bridge. And you can see even less than five miles out, you can still, there's spike strips on the road. There's obviously all of these barricades. Basically, they do not want people getting close to the demilitarized zone unless they are authorized to do so. Now, tour groups, uh, they're suspended for the time being. Uh, they were allowed in, but there's a lot of protocol, a lot of security checks that you have to go through. And, uh, but in fact, if indeed it was at Panmunjom where this whole incident happened, then this young uh, U.S. Army or, uh, private, 23-year-old Travis King, may have actually stepped across in relatively the same way that President Trump stepped across when he went with Kim Jong-un, which is just kind of, uh, you know, we don't know if there's if there's video that will ever be released that would show it. Obviously, it was probably caught on multiple security cameras, given the sensitivity of this location. Uh, but whether or not that will ever see the light of day, uh, we don't know. What we also don't know, Christina, is exactly how long uh, Mr. King is going to be in North Korean custody. Pretty complicated situation, considering the two sides have not had any official lines of communication for a very long time. 
And Mark Stewart now joins us on this too. Mark, we do, as a result of the last 12 hours or so, have at least some understanding of what this individual has been through in the past six months and may in some way play towards his state of mind when this took place. Right. And that is going to be a big part of this investigation. Let me just back up a little bit and kind of walk through what we have discovered over the last 12 hours or so, or now almost 24 hours in a way, as to what happened. Uh, As you mentioned, this is a young man, a private in the military, who had some issues. He had been serving uh, time in, he was detained uh, here in in South Korea, that is, uh, for an assault charge. It was agreed upon that he would fly back to the United States to face an administrative separation from the military. Basically, he and the military were going to part ways. He was taken to the airport and he had escorts with him who took him to the airport. But when they uh, hit the customs line, the customs check, these escorts were not able to go through with him. He went through and then somehow, somewhere in that process, he was able to leave the airport and then somehow join this tour group. And as we talked about yesterday, these tours of the DMZ are open to the public. Uh, it's something as a tourist you can do. How exactly he got from there, from the airport to this tour, what was his thinking behind all of that? That's not clear. His mother spoke recently to ABC News. She said she was surprised about all of this. Uh, but we don't have a greater insight as to what prompted him to make this very bold move. As Will Ripley alluded to, right now, relationships between the United States and, and North Korea are, are pretty much non-existent. There was some discussion during at least part of the Trump administration. But right now, there is no formal dialogue taking place. Uh, the Swedish embassy has, in many cases, uh, served as a liaison between the two governments. But how he will be released, if that, is, if that is something that is in the near future, how that will transpire, how that will take place. I mean, this is very unprecedented territory, Julia. Certainly lots of questions to continue to ask. Mark Stewart, thank you for that. The leader of the Wagner Mercenary Group, Evgeny Prigozhin, is, quote, floating about. That's according to the head of the UK's intelligence service, MI6. Speaking in Prague, Sir Richard Moore told CNN that the Russian president had to cut a, quote, humiliating deal to end last month's short-lived rebellion. Nick Payton-Walsh is in Prague and joins us now. Nick, fascinating comments on this. I think it emphasises the complexity of the relationship between Prigozhin and Vladimir Putin himself and the fact and the power of his ability to enact this attempted um, rebellion in the first place. It also makes him a walking symbol of that humiliation for Vladimir Putin. Well, certainly, but also, too, I think it speaks to the the weakness of Vladimir Putin during that weekend of June the 24th, where essentially he did have to do what that strong man would like to have thought was essentially unthinkable. And to quote uh, Richard Moore, uh, Sir Richard Moore, the head of MI6, speaking here earlier on today, cut a deal to save his own skin. Now, uh, it's important to remind people of the context of that day in which in the morning uh, Wagner were marching with Prigozhin in the lead on Moscow and then miraculously in the middle of the day turn their forces around and the whole thing seemed to be forgiven. But let's hear the words uh, of the head of MI6 describing that day. If you look at Putin's behaviours on that day, uh, Prigozhin started off, I think, as a traitor at breakfast. Uh, He had been pardoned by supper 
and then a few days later he was invited for tea. So there are some things, Anne, that even the chief of MI6 finds it a little bit difficult to try and interpret in terms of who's in and who's out. Now that's, I think, an expression of some of the bewilderment, frankly, here, still visible on the face of the head of MI6 when describing that weekend, how startling that flip-flop was, how indeed it appears for their understanding, this is the first time we've heard a public assessment from Western intelligence agencies about that extraordinary weekend, unprecedented in Putin's Russia, that their grasp of what happened that weekend is very similar to what we saw in public. That Prigozhin seems to have changed his mind, had a deal negotiated with Lukashenko, the president of Belarus, and then in indeed turned around and indeed that this miraculous meeting for tea as you heard uh, more talk about there appears to have been a time uh, when maybe Putin decided to try and lower the temperature and even forgive Prigozhin but uh, more used this rare public speech in the city of Prague uh, to remind people that this was outside of Ukraine the last European capital to see Russian tanks roll into it and to make a clear appeal to Russians disaffected by the brutality of Russia's invasion of Ukraine that they could come to MI6 and give secrets, assist, essentially spy for the United Kingdom uh, in a bid to try and end this war as quickly as possible. Interesting, too, though, also uh, to hear a, a, a sort of an assessment of Russia's allies at this point, still describing China, who've been supportive of Russia, as complicit uh, in that invasion, but expressing, too, that at the heights of Iran's government, there appears to be division over Iran's persistent supply of weaponry, namely the Shahid drones that were attacking Odessa just over the past uh, two nights or so, and that that appears to be a reflection of Iran's desire to earn cash wherever it can, but they, too, parts are struggling with the impact of those weapons supplies. So a speech here which contained, I think it's fair to say, some interesting details from a Western intelligence perspective that corroborated what we thought was the case, but it's so incredibly hard to trust what the Kremlin's been saying, frankly, uh, for over a decade now. Um, but I think reflecting to the extraordinary turmoil uh, that, that we can reflect it around Putin and possibly a, an opportunity seen here by British spies to get extra Russian recruits because of the sort of whiff of collapse that Putin's weakness over that period of time began to betray. Mm, Julia? Nick Peyton Walsh, thank you. Okay, take a look at this dramatic video of Ukrainian air defences shooting down Russian cruise missiles. It was recorded by CNN in the port city of Odessa. The city came under intense Russian bombardment for the second night in a row. And President Zelensky says the Kremlin deliberately targeted infrastructure used for exporting Ukrainian grain. Russia, of course, this week pulled out of an agreement to let grain shipments pass safely through the Black Sea. Joining us now is Claire Sebastian. Claire, President Zelensky saying that this infrastructure is being deliberately targeted. And now we know 60,000 tonnes of grain were apparently destroyed just in those attacks overnight. Yeah, Julia, that's what President Zelensky is saying. And we have imagery out from uh, Ukrainian officials as well showing some damage, it seems, uh, to port facilities. The Ministry of Communities, Territories and Infrastructure saying that both Odessa and the port of Chornomorsk, also on the Black Sea, also included in that grain deal were hit. You can see quite significant level of damage there. We had heard earlier in the day uh, from a Ukrainian official in Odessa that there were missiles that got through that actually hit their targets that damaged a grain terminal, an oil facility and other port infrastructure for the second day running. We're seeing damage uh, to this port. So that 
I think clearly significant. Russia's account, though, of this does deviate from that. Russia's Ministry of Defense saying that they hit all their targets, where, of course, uh, the Ukrainian Air Force is saying that they shot down more than half of the missiles and drones uh, that were launched at the country. They're saying that they were only targeting uh, military industrial facilities, fuel uh, and ammunition uh, storages and things like that. Also an air base they said they hit in central Ukraine. We haven't seen evidence of that as of yet. So not actually claiming to be hitting grain infrastructure. But I think this can also be viewed, Julia, in the context of the Kremlin's comment on Tuesday that it was still looking at proposals to respond to the attack on the Kerch Bridge on Monday, which, of course, Ukraine claimed responsibility for, though, of course, with the caveat that it is difficult to distinguish in this war retaliation from the general course of Russia's aggression. Claire Sebastian, thank you for that report. Donald Trump defiant, accusing the U.S. Justice Department of being a political weapon. The former U.S. president saying he expects to be indicted for the third time, revealing that the special counsel, who has already charged him with a multitude of other crimes, notified him that he's a target of the January 6th investigation. Paula Reid has the details and explains what that means. Former President Trump defiant and railing against special counsel Jack Smith during a Fox News town hall in Iowa Tuesday. I got the letter on Sunday night. Think of it. I don't think they've ever sent a letter on Sunday night. And they're in a rush because they want to interfere. It's interference with the election. It's election interference. Never been done like this in the history of our country. And it's a disgrace. Trump fuming after announcing he had received a letter from the special counsel informing him that he is a target in the criminal investigation into efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Trump says he was given four days to report to the grand jury and indicated that he believes that means an arrest and indictment is imminent. His legal team has not formally responded and sources tell CNN that they were caught off guard because they were not anticipating charges against the former president. These are evil people, deranged, I call them deranged. CNN has learned in recent months, prosecutors have interviewed officials from all seven 2020 battleground states targeted by the former president and his allies in their efforts to overturn the election. Trump's allies on Capitol Hill rushing to his defense. President Trump went up in the polls and was uh, actually surpassing President Biden for re-election. So what do they do now? Weaponize government. With the threat of yet another indictment looming, Trump's lawyers appeared in a South Florida courtroom Tuesday to discuss his indictment in the classified documents case where he is facing 37 felony counts. Trump appointed Judge Eileen Cannon signaling the Justice Department's desire to hold a trial in mid-December of this year may be too soon, given the highly sensitive nature of the case and the evidence that it's based on. She did not appear, though, willing to delay the trial indefinitely, saying she plans to rule, quote, promptly. A trial starting in 2024 could collide with a Republican presidential primary, where Trump is the current frontrunner. His rivals in the race now facing yet another round of questions in what could be yet another indictment. I think the DOJ continues to try to find a way to weaponize its powers against the former president. Okay, coming up, how AI is being used to change the way we sound and the implications for voice actors speak for themselves. Plus... 
Tensions high in Kenya. We're live in Nairobi on the day of anti-government protests. That's next. Stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... Lately, we have been paying attention to a very different virus, bird flu, which is caused by the H5N1 virus. If you start to hear that it's circulating in pigs, that would be a concern. That means I would go from sleeping with one eye open to one and a half eyes open. Yeah, that would make me very concerned. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to First Move. Coming soon to a screen near you. Hmm, Not a lot. Hollywood's come to a shuddering halt as actors and writers walk off set in protest on a multitude of issues which perhaps threaten their future. Now you'll find top talent on strike and manning picket lines from coast to coast. The New York City protester was actually near the Hudson Yards offices of Warner Brothers Discovery. That's the parent company of CNN. The impact of streaming, how content's used, pay, of course, and technologies like artificial intelligence are all on a long list of concerns. Now, before the strike, the union enlisted Tom Cruise to lobby on behalf of members. At least that's according to The Hollywood Reporter. The report says the Mission Impossible star joined a negotiating session to discuss concerns about the use of AI to replace actors. Whether or not that's true, we can't confirm. But my next guest says he works closely with paid voice actors to create content for gaming, streaming and socialising online. The company, called VoiceMod, describes itself as the world leader in providing AI-powered voice synthesis and interactive audio with over 40 million downloads so far. Um, That's a lot of big words. I think it's best explained by this clip. Just watch this. With our cutting-edge AI voices technology, you can transform your voice in real time. Collective pilot voice takes you to heights never reached before. The choice is yours. The possibilities are infinite. Sign up for the VoiceMod beta and try our AI voices today. Jaime Bosch is the CEO of VoiceMod and joins us now. Great to have you on the show. I think that was a great illustration, but in your own words, what you provide to customers and the technology behind it. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, What we provide to our customers is basically we superpower uh, people's voice. So we enable them to have a greater self-expression, creativity and, and inclusion. And it's in real time. So you can overlay a person's voice as they speak, as we saw that that person there. 
Exactly. So one of the particularities of our technology, which makes it, which make it really hard, is that it works uh, in real time. So I can I can switch uh, uh, the technology right now, and I will I I can showcase it to you if you want. Oh, let's do it. Okay. So I can, for for example, uh, pretend that I am Dean. So, hello, I am Dean. I live in Sweden, and I'm a professional game developer. So. I can, for example, switch to Alice. Hey there, my name is Alice. Oh my uh, Word as a bartender. Or... Let's switch to uh, Jerry. So my name is Jerry. I'm a voiceover actor. And I work on uh, many commercials uh, to dub the boots. Oh, I can tell you, Jerry, the voiceover actor is really quaking in his boots at that quite frankly. Um, I, I sort of so, do see an industry threat. Give me, give me your context on that. Well, basically, voice mode today is used for um, mainly gaming and entertainment purposes. So the main use cases that you will find on this kind of technology is uh, friends doing a gaming session together that wants to, to have fun, to, to really express themselves. And also within content creation and streaming, it's a use case that is, that is growing. As of today, I don't see uh, like a th in, in this kind of technology that is working real time, you always need to have a human as an input. So it's not that the AI is going to replace uh, the actor or the person um, performing because you still need to do a, a performance. I'm not a good performer, but uh, we, we do have some amazing people in, in the company that, that does performing. But uh, the thing is that you still need the human factor uh, to create those those uh, those voices, those uh, those actings. So, at the end of the day, what we provide is a uh, supercharged version of the voice. So it's gamers that are using this voice, as you say, when they're interacting with others. I've seen individuals respond to the company on social media and say, actually, this is the voice now that I'm using to interact and it makes me co more confident. It's a, a sort of brighter version of myself and I prefer this voice. I, I can see huge positives to that if it gives people um, the lift that they're more confident to speak. I can also see downsides if in some way they're hiding behind that voice because you, you, you're stuck with your real voice in real life. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the positive side of, of this inclusion is that we are having a lot of um, examples in our user base, which are basically people that is not comfortable on, on, on speaking with their own voice. So uh, they've been, people they've been hiding in these digital worlds for, for many years behind an avatar. They've been choosing, they have, they've been having the ability to choose the way they look but they never had the ability to choose the way they sound. So they feel more comfortable having a voice that matches the character uh, they are impersonating. Uh, within the bad actors, even though the majority of our user base use voice mode for 
uh, as I mentioned, self-expression, creativity, and inclusion. Uh, for the bad actors, which we acknowledge uh, it can it can be, we are also working uh, towards uh, having tools and putting tools in place to make this technology more safe. So, for example, we're working on a watermarking technology, and we're also working on a synthetic media detection, uh, joining in a joint venture with other companies of the space uh, to make this technology safer for for the users to use. Yeah, because you don't have that now. I, I go back to the voices that you were doing and I got sidetracked by uh, the voiceover um, person that you were doing. But the young girl actually watching you speak in a young girl's voice. I think if I were a parent out there, I'd be deeply alarmed. So at this stage, using your technology, if I were using it, I can't tell the difference between you being a young girl that I think I'm speaking to and you being um, a, a grown man. Is that correct? And if so, how quickly can you make sure these things are watermarked so people know who they're talking to? Well, we are currently working on this technology and this will be available very soon. So this, okay. is, this will be something that we will solve in, in the near how future. Soon? How soon? I'm pushing you. Within, yeah, yeah, I, know, I noticed that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, hopefully within this year. Okay, good. I'm going to hold you to that. I'm going to have another conversation like this. Um, <laughs> talk to me about the future of content, the content industry, though, because I can see how this is incredibly useful. As you said, it's, it livens up the experience if you're gaming or you're playing or you're interacting. But, but what about that translation to, to real life? And you've said, look, there's always a person behind it. You're adapting something. But, but can you also see the concerns of the creativity industry and those behind this that perhaps as an actor, your voice can be taken. Someone could use this technology for Tom Cruise, for example, and use his voice. Yeah, I mean, we, we always have the, the, the angle of working with, with professional actors. Uh, I, I understand that, that uh, what the concerns of the new technology are, it, they are being always there. Uh, I mean, uh, new breakthroughs in technology make, 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 for example, governments need to do regulations. Uh, in this case, for example, I believe that companies have to self-regulate, start self-regulate and, and start self-regulate together, as we are doing, for example, with this uh, watermarking and this synthetic media detection with other companies in the space. I mean, I'm I going can to have see... to stop you there because uh, John Kerry, uh, the US climate um, envoy, is speaking in Beijing and we have to listen to him. We'll reconvene on this conversation, so thank you. Very Let's listen in to John Kerry. Meetings with a lot to catch up on. Uh, we had very frank conversations, but we came here to break new ground, which we think is important at this stage, uh, and it is clear uh, that we are going to need a little more work to be able to complete that task, which we still believe, both of us, is doable. Uh, there are a lot of things that we very clearly agreed on after all this time. Uh, but there are also some issues that are going to have to be resolved that are going to take a little more time. Uh, we used as a baseline for this meeting the uh, meeting that took place between President Biden and President Xi in Bali, Indonesia, where the two leaders agreed to work jointly and together with other countries to address the climate crisis. Uh, we both agreed 
to continue bilateral engagement to address this climate crisis. And we both agreed as a matter of urgency and in recognition of the global and existential nature of this threat. We both agreed to continue this bilateral effort, uh, particularly agreeing on the language that we are uh, uh, deeply disturbed by the current urgency that grows by the day and because of the global and existential nature of this challenge. We are both deeply alarmed by uh, the best available science uh, and the findings. Uh, we also agreed that uh, we agree with the scientific findings, including the IPCC sixth assessment report, recognizing that the climate crisis has increasingly affected people and countries around the world. We both remain committed to fully implementing the U.S.-China joint statement addressing the climate crisis and the U.S.-China joint Glasgow uh, Declaration on Enhancing Climate Action in the 2020s. And we both agreed that uh, we want to work together to guarantee a positive outcome from COP28, where obviously the cooperation of China and the United States is critical to any outcome. So uh, we also agreed to work intensively in the weeks ahead. This is not a one-off meeting. Uh, we uh, are already uh, pinpointing the time for our next meeting and then even the next one after that, recognizing that we have only about four months uh, before the COP and we have to make up a certain amount of time uh, for the period that uh, this discussion has not been taking place. Uh, we agreed to work intensively on those meetings and to set goals and uh, make sure that we have a work product that uh, has jumped through the hoops in both of our countries so that uh, it can be approved and we can move forward. Uh, we agreed in the next weeks that our next meeting will take place and, and among the topics to discuss will be the scaling and integrating of renewable energy into a power sector in order to be able to reduce coal emissions and also to address non-CO2 greenhouse gas emissions including to inform the development of 2035 NDCs that are supposed to be submitted in 2025. And we view this as a very important discussion which took a fair amount of time in the course of these days. So that's the basic outline of where we are uh, and I'm happy to take a few questions. The first question comes from Keith Retter of New York Times. Okay, Secretary John Kerry there, the U.S. climate envoy, speaking after talks with Chinese officials on progress and how the two nations can work together. We're talking about the two largest emitters of fossil fuels, also the two largest investors, of course, in renewable energies as well. The question is, how can they work better together? Um, he was keen to emphasize that this would be an ongoing bilateral effort, that they agreed on much of the language, but there's still much work to do, using language like um, deeply alarmed by the best 
best available science that is indicating the damage that uh, climate change is doing, including agreeing on the IPCC assessment report. I think any degree of agreement between these two nations on this fact is, um, is an important step. He was also keen to emphasise that there's catch-up to be done ahead of COP28, four months to go, and that there will be ongoing meetings between the Americans and the Chinese officials into that, and hopefully some form of greater agreement to ramp up renewable investment and reduce coal use, of course, which we've seen China do in recent months, and Europeans too, just to be clear, but we have seen that from China, and that's certainly been a sore point in these discussions. We'll take a break. We're back after this. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protest that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to First Move. And just into CNN, the founder of the Wagner Group has appeared in a video apparently greeting his fighters in Belarus. It was posted on pro-Wagner Telegram channels, which were shared by Evgeny Prigozhin's account. It's the first time he's been seen in public since leading a military uprising last month. CNN is working to verify where and when the video was shot. Joining us now, Claire Sebastian. We just heard from the uh, chief of the MI6 saying uh, that Prigozhin was floating about. If this is true, he may have floated into Belarus. Yeah, joining uh, legions, it seems, of his fighters who we had seen on satellite imagery and convoys moving uh, towards and in some cases arriving uh, at that base over the course of this week. Julia, we don't know, as you said, where exactly this video was shot or when, but the content is extremely interesting. Evgeny Prigozhin seen addressing uh, what seems to be quite a large number of troops. What he says uh, is that that he fought, they fought with dignity, they did a lot for Russia. He says what's happening now at the front is a disgrace that they uh, don't need to take part in. So he says for the time being, they're going to be stationed in Belarus. The plan is to make the Belarusian army, he says, the second in the world, if necessary, uh, Wagner will stand with them, he says. And then, you know, they will prepare themselves. They'll essentially reform themselves and go on another journey, he says, to Africa, at which point uh, they'll return back when he says they'll be confident enough that they will not be asked to make an embarrassment of ourselves and our experience. So this is not a Prigozhin cowed and shamed by any experience uh, of the last month or so. This is a Prigozhin who seems more defiant than ever, who seems to be uh, in back in control of his private military company, uh, as it were, and, uh, you know, making plans to be moving forward. Extraordinary uh, to see this after 25 days of essentially not having any evidence at all of his whereabouts since that aborted mutiny uh, on the road to Moscow, Julia. Yeah, certainly to your point, punchy comments as well and and willing to say exactly what he thinks in particular still about the, the war in Ukraine. We'll see. We'll aim to get in further verification of that video too. Claire Sebastian, thank you. Now, a youthful population and a rich startup culture is helping propel Nairobi, Kenya, to the top tier of Africa's growing tech scene. Eleni Jokos reports on one firm's exciting success story in today's Connecting Africa. I'm in Nairobi, and markets like this across Africa are the lifeblood of the continent. In fact, informal traders are what make 
things tick and work. And the question has always remained how to formalize the informal. And technology might just be the solution to propel this industry into a new economic reality. Known by some as the Silicon Savannah, Nairobi is becoming an increasingly important player in the international tech scene. Adanian Labs is just one example of local tech success here. Founded in Kenya and active across several African countries, Adanian is on a mission to cultivate startups in the technology field. So we're a technology company, a Pan-African technology company, and what really founded us was our mission to actuate the tech revolution on the continent by making sure that Africans are an active and proactive participants in the fourth industrial revolution. I mean, the good thing about Africa, Kenya and, you know, sub-Sahara Africa, it's a young continent, right? So there's a lot of vibrant young people, and they're all looking to uh, create value for themselves, create wealth for themselves. And fortunately, Africa as a continent has so many things that are a challenge, but that's where the opportunity is. So technology allows us to leapfrog things in a way that we're not able to do before. If you look at the African history, we've missed the Industrial Revolution, we've missed a couple of things. But for the first time ever, we have a technology revolution where we are able to create impact and change the status quo of this continent. And the young people are the people who are going to do that. So you've been around for three years and you've already made such big headway. Um, Firstly, did you anticipate that you would grow so fast? And I guess, what is the future for you? What are you seeing coming up? Yes, it's been an exciting three years. And I think uh, we've managed to do all this because of also the place where we have decided to go to market from. I mean, we built a company from Kenya. If you look at what's happening in Africa, Kenya is becoming uh, a hub of tech for the continent. So, so I think that was, was very, very key. And the future is absolutely exciting. Uh, we are building the largest tech company on this continent. And by largest, I mean in terms of the impact that we will create across sectors, but also the fact that you know, our aim is to digitize the 80%, you know, the SME ecosystems and, and, and build a connected Africa, a borderless Africa. So I'm extremely excited. And that just about wraps up the show. Thank you for watching. I'll see you tomorrow. Marketplace Europe is up next. Stay with CNN. Quality sleep is essential. And that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.